0: Alright, good morning. My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I'm excited to be here. How about you? Alright. Well, good morning. Have you ever had a wake-up call that literally scared the pants off you? I have. So, a few weeks ago, we noticed that almost all our fire and smoke alarms were going bad. Our home was built in 1993. I don't know when the smoke alarms were last updated. So we're like, you know, we need to update all our smoke and fire alarms. So we hired Josh McDermott, who's playing guitar here today. He came in, and he replaced all our smoke and, and fire alarms. And we're like, you know what? We love our four kids. We want it the best for them. So let's, let's get the nicer version of the smoke and fire alarms. These ones actually tell you what's going on. If there's carbon monoxide poison, if it's fire, whatever it might be. I was like, okay, sounds, sounds good. So we got these new smoke alarms, fire alarms, sleeping well, feeling like our oh, family's taken care of. Well, a couple weeks ago, in the dead of night, we're sleeping. It's like 2 in the morning, and all of a sudden, All the alarms go off. There's seven fire alarms, and they're all tied together. And not only that, but they say, fire, 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 fire. So I wake up like, what is going on? Fire, fire, fire. And I'm just like, literally scared the pants off me. And I'm running around like, what is going on? Grab the kids, we get them into the van, Kristen drives off. And I'm trying to find, is there an actual fire here or not? So I don't see anything. So I go room by room to the house, which I don't know if it's smart or not. Uh, Finally get down to the basement, and I'm like, is it hot? Is it not? Don't see anything. So that's when I call 911, and they come in, and it's it's just a false alarm. But man, that was a wake-up call that scared me to death. Now, we all have those moments in our life where we have something that all of a sudden we're like, what scares us half to death? Sometimes we have these moments too where it's like a very gradual wake-up call. Like in the morning, the birds are chirping and it's kind of a gradual wake-up call. Well, for all of us, I think those that are married, I hope today can be a bit of a wake-up call for you. Maybe it's, it's screaming fire, fire, fire. Maybe it's a little bit more of just a gradual call. Because here's the thing, is that roughly half of all marriages end in divorce. And I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, in, in my 20s, there were, you know, maybe one or two friends who, whose marriages ended and experienced that. And now, as I'm getting ready to hit 40 this year, man, so many marriages on the rocks. Some of my friends have gotten divorced. Some of my marriages are heading into that. So today, what we're going to look at is, what can we do to strengthen our marriages? What can we do to strengthen our relationships? And, and this isn't some magic thing, but I think there is one thing that we can do that Statistics say really helps to strengthen your marriage. And if there's one thing that you could do to help get your marriage back on track, well, I'm hoping that today is that thing that can really help you out. Because I hope that no matter how your marriage got to the place where it is, that it is possible to find restoration and hope. It's going to take work to make your marriage work, but I hope that you can still believe that God can do miracles that wherever you are in your relationship, maybe you're single after being married again and, and, and you're figuring things out. Maybe you're remarried and you're still blending those families together. Whatever it is, I hope that today God uses my words to give you something that you can walk away with that's going to help you out. And at the end of the message, I'm just going to give you one thing where I hope that one thing that can help you uh, build your spiritual life, help your relationships. Uh, before we dive into God's word, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here with us. And God, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh God. That you would speak in and around and through my words, so that everyone here, God, would receive what they need to receive. That we'd all walk out of here feeling hope and joy. That your peace that surpasses all understanding would guard our hearts and minds. And God, I just thank you for, for your love. And God, thank you that you paid the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could have a relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen. When you go back to the first half of the Bible, it's called the, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. It's a story uh, of God's people. And it starts with a man named Abraham. Out of all the people on the earth, God looked and decided to extend his grace to a man named Abraham living in the region around Babylon. And and, and the story of Abraham is a great story of God calling him out and and inviting him, hey, come, follow me. And Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he left behind what he knew. He left behind his people and and was obedient to where God led. And in our first year as a church, we went through the book of Genesis, and we covered a lot about the faith and the journey of Abraham and, and how God was leading him out of what he knew into the promised land. And, and Abraham stumbles, he falls, and then he gets back up again. And God continues to lead him and guide him. And God says, Abraham, out of your family, I'm going to build a great nation. And out of your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world. And there's this promise that one is going to be born from Abraham, Jesus. And this descendant of Abraham is going to bless everyone. Well, Abraham has, has gotten old, and then we see way, way late in his life, when all the plumbing had stopped working, he still didn't have a son. He said, so, well, "How is this going to work? How am I going to be the father of many when I don't have any kids?" And God miraculously provides a child for them, and his wife Sarah gets pregnant, and they have Isaac. And, and so it's a beautiful story. Well, Abraham now is getting to the end of his life, and, and his wife Sarah has passed away, and, and his, his descendant, Isaac, is growing up, and he's a great young man, and he's growing up, and Abraham's watching him. Yeah. He's gonna be a a, a great, you know, uh, uh, my son to carry on this legacy. And, you know, Isaac hits 20 and he's not dating anyone and there's no girlfriends. Then Isaac hits 25 and then 30. And Abraham's a little worried like, what's going on here? Like, how am I gonna be the father of nations if my son doesn't have any kids? Then 35. And Isaac's now 40. And Abraham's like, okay i got to take matters in my own hands. So today we're going to look a little bit at the life of Isaac and and what happens here. And we see that Abraham's getting to the end of of his journey, and God has provided a son, but not a grandson yet. So is God going to, to continue to provide? And see, Abraham was called out of this land of Babylon, and the last thing that Abraham wants is that for Isaac to go back to where Abraham came from when Abraham dies. See, we should want our kids to build on the future that we have already built. We want our kids to not make the same mistakes that we made. We want our ceiling to be the floor that our kids can build on. And so Abraham's like, don't go back to where I came out of. I've led you to the promised land. We've got to build a home here. We're going to build a family here. But also, Abraham doesn't want Isaac to find a wife among the pagan people living around them. All the people around them, they don't know the one true God. So what Abraham's going to do, he's going to ask his servant, he's going to send him back to his kin, his people back around the region of Babylon, to find a wife for his son Isaac. Now, I don't know why 40-year-old Isaac couldn't go back himself and find a wife. That's another sermon for another day about parents, you know, maybe helicoptering around their kids. that has been back even that far. But the important thing to note here is that Abraham didn't waver. If you're taking notes this morning, as parents, just in general in life, that compromise kills our convictions. The compromise kills our convictions. See, Abraham didn't compromise. He had his convictions that we are gonna serve the one true God. We're not gonna go back to what God called me out of. I don't know where you are today, but I want you to stand firm on your convictions. The, the values that you have for your family, stand firm in those. Don't go back to where you came from. Don't compromise. When it comes to your kids, when they start dating, don't compromise. You want your grandkids to have a great legacy. Your kids to marry great spouses. And so we're going to read now, pick up in our story in Genesis chapter 24. And we're going to breeze through a lot of this. And uh, here, let's dive in. Genesis 24, verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. Ten of Abraham's camels. Taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia in the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening. The time when women go out to draw water. And he said, he is going to pray, O oh Lord, God, of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, he's going to ask her for a drink, and who then shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love my master. Here we're going to see this servant as he's following after God, as he's praying, he's going to show both trust and action. You can write that down, that we need both trust and action. We need to trust God with our future, trust him with our finances, trust him with our kids, but we also need to take action. We need to invest in our children. We need to make time one-on-one pouring into our kids. With our finances, we need to have a plan. With our relationships, We need to trust God with them, but also have a plan. And this servant trusted that God would provide a wife for Isaac, but he also took action. It's the same in our lives today. Trust that God's going to take care of you, but you also need to act. You can't just be passive. We need to step forward in faith and trust in him. Genesis 24, verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, Who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all the camels. Now, I am seriously impressed with Rebecca, this girl. See, she takes care of how many camels? Have you followed the story? Ten camels. Do you have any idea how much water it takes to fill up a camel? It's 25 gallons. That means she drew. Can you do the math? I didn't do great in math, but 250. Thank you. 250 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. And this time, probably her water jar held about three gallons. That means she had to make like 85 trips to draw water to, to water all these camels. That probably took two, maybe three hours. I mean, this is an impressive woman. Talk about a hardworking girl. And she's kind. Like she's showing compassion to the camels. I'm sure the servant is like, if she's nice to the camels, she's definitely going to be nice to Isaac, right? Right? She's a wonderful, hard working woman. And man, if I picture it, she's been drawing water for two hundred and fifty gallons. Like she's probably got buff arms, right? Right? She's like the whole package, like kind, hard working, buff arms. This is Rebecca. Verse twenty two When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel, and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom he She bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. He finds out that that this young woman is related to Abraham and is part of the kin. And this is a good thing. He's like, Oh, great. Man, God has shown blessing and faithfulness. I've come to find someone who is part of Abraham's kin and not only that, she, she's kind, she's hardworking, she's beautiful. He says, As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all these things. Rebecca, this this wonderful woman who, who's looking out for others, she's hardworking, she's kind. And what does she get as a result of her kindness and, and a following after God? She gets jewelry. Right? So right here, guys, in the Bible, it says, Give your wife jewelry. And all the ladies said, Amen. Thank you. Man, I could expect a little better of an amen there. So the servant goes to Rebecca's home and talks to her her mom and her older brother Laban, who's kind of a a crook. And Abraham's servant explains his mission. I'm I'm here to find a bride for Isaac. So they sit down and they're talking about this. In verse, verse 57, they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said, Will you go with this man? Do you want to go be the bride of Isaac and travel away from the land that you've known to go here and marry this young man you don't know? Are are you going to do that? Do you want to do that? And she said, I will go. They leave the decision to her, and she says, I will go. She's showing faith like her future father-in-law, Abraham, who left his homeland and his whole family when God called him to go to a new land, and here she is doing the same thing. Maybe today God is asking you to step out of what you've known. And step into a new place, a new beginning. And like Rebecca, you will say, yes, I will go. So, happily ever after? Well, we got to see, is Isaac still, you know, is he, is he going to accept Rebecca? What's going to happen here? Verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. So this is where, in our story, the romantic music's kicking in. Isaac's taking a walk at sunset. You know, the sun is coming down. It's the golden hour. He's walking out in the fields, and he looks up, and he sees these camels, and he sees Rebecca. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Now, a woman would cover herself with a bridal veil before she got married. This is sort of like her taking the engagement ring and putting it on her finger. She's saying, yes, I'm going to accept this marriage with Isaac. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah's mother, she's passed away, and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Everything's great, right? Happily ever after, Isaac meets this good, godly woman. They fall in love First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby carriage. Yeah, right? That's, that happens. And God's promised the fruitful nations. Well, let's jump to Genesis 25, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. They get married, Isaac's 40. They want to have kids, and they want to give Abraham grandchildren. But it's not working. They're they're not having kids. How many of you walked that path? Chris and I walked that path for three years of infertility, of praying, wanting to be fruitful and multiply and have children. Maybe you've been there. Maybe it's not infertility, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a job that your spouse hates and they feel trapped. Maybe it's a chronic illness that your spouse has been struggling with for a long, long time. Maybe it's mental illness. Maybe it's depression, anxiety. And day after day, you're praying for healing, you're praying for hope. That's Isaac. He's praying for his wife, Rebecca, whom he loves. And they're struggling. And they want to conceive. Pray for your spouse. Don't give up hope. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us about prayer. In Romans twelve twelve. he says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Another way to say that is prayer without ceasing. Paul tells us to have hope. Be patient. Pray constantly. Maybe you're praying and waiting for a spouse. Have hope. Be patient. Pray about that. Maybe your spouse is struggling. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's a job loss. Maybe they're working and going to college at the same time. It's putting a strain on your family. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Genesis 25, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, you read this verse, and you think, all right, you know, a couple months passed by, they were barren. He prayed, boom, they got a son, right? That's, that's what it seems like in verse 21. If we jump ahead to verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau, a big hairy guy. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, the heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years old. 60 years old when she bore them. Isaac was 60 when they had their twins. That means they wait, they waited 20 years to conceive. Twenty years, Isaac is praying for his wife Rebekah to carry a child. Twenty years. Maybe you've been praying for healing. Maybe you've been praying for your spouse for a little while and you feel like, man, God's not answering this prayer. You aren't alone. Isaac prayed for 20 years before God answered that prayer and God gave them children. And that brings us to what we call the special sauce in marriage. Even though this is uncomfortable, I don't think there's anything more powerful that will help your marriage than this. This goes to the heart of of mutual submission of how we love and serve each other. And if you start doing this, it will instantly surface all the crud, the arrogance, the ego in your life towards God and one another. It's this. It's to pray together out loud on a regular basis. It's to pray together out loud on a regular basis. Now, some of you guys are like, I got this. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, God, thanks for the grub, right? We're talking about, no, those, those awkward, I'm not good at these kind of prayers, it's just the love of your life. You guys look at each other and say, let's pray out loud together. If something rises up within you that pushes back from wanting to pray with your spouse, I hope that you can pay attention to that and say, what is that? Why is it that I don't want to pray together with my spouse? What is going on in my heart? Why am I pushing back against that? Now, a bunch of studies have been done on this. And among Christian couples, it says that only 8% pray out loud together. It means 92% of Christian couples don't pray out loud together on a regular basis. And we've been doing this 90-day marriage challenge, and one of the challenges is that we pray out loud together on a regular basis. And i got to admit, like, Chris and I are not perfect in this. We, we will go days where it's like, shoot, we've not prayed out loud together. So if this is something you've struggled with to to do consistently, you are not alone. But we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for progress in our relationships. And so part of this whole series and part of this marriage challenge is that, hey, we're going to have bad weeks. We're going to have bad days. But let's work on this progress of, of wanting to grow our relationships. This is so important. I'm not suggesting it might work or that it's supposed to work, but the numbers don't lie. There have been so many studies on this. Now, I've never watched an episode of Dr. Phil. Uh, Maybe if I get my oral change or something, he's on there. But he's famous, and I'm going to quote him, because they say that quoting famous people helps your credibility. I think Abraham Lincoln said that on the Internet. Uh, Dr. Phil writes this in his best-selling book, Relationship Rescue. An interesting statistic, statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America is at a minimum one out of two marriages. But the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about 1 in 10,000. 1 in 10,000. Like, that's crazy. Like, never before in the history of publishing has a statistic given you that said this is going to give such an astonishing result. But the studies showed that it does work. That if we are consistent in praying together, it almost, not totally, but almost guarantees a way to divorce-proof your marriage. So we, that's what we want to strive for every day. We're not going to hit perfection. But we want to have progress in this. The couple that prays together stays together. The couples, maybe a better way to say it, that prays together have a really, really good shot, a 99.9% chance of staying together. And this application isn't maybe not groundbreaking or life-altering, but it's something that, as a church, we want to talk about on a regular basis. For those of you who don't know how to pray, who don't feel comfortable praying with your spouse, I just want to give you a couple quick suggestions that you can write these down. Number one, that short and awkward is just fine. That short and awkward is just fine. This is especially true for those maybe who've never prayed out loud. There's a lot of people in our church. You come to Mosaic and you've never prayed out loud, and that's totally fine. Be honest and don't feel the need to pray long, awkward prayers. Because maybe the only people you hear pray out loud are, are me or worship leaders, and you're like, Man, those guys use big words like sanctification. I can't do that. Like, don't throw those words in your prayer if you don't know how to use them. Like, that's totally fine. And so, like, what we want to do, and this is what we try to do. Like, guys, when you're laying in bed, like, reach over, grab your wife's hand, you know, her hand, and say, okay, we're going to pray right now. Like, and you can even just pray. God, we're praying out loud. This is awkward. I don't know what to say. Amen. And that's totally fine. Like, if that's where you want to start, that is great. Even if it's awkward, just start. Number two, we want to pray with each other, not at each other. All right? We want to pray with each other, not at each other. You don't pray like, Heavenly Father, I pray that Josh could start spending more time with our children. Amen. Like, no, like, this isn't your time to like, take shots at your spouse. Prayer is not the opportunity to verbally bash your partner. We want to pray with, not at each other. Number three, pray together with your children, for those of us who are parents, and pray together for your children. Whatever resistance that you're feeling to this, I want to encourage you to push through it. It's just like anything that feels awkward, we have to push through it. When you try a new exercise program, you know, when you're trying a new way of eating, when you're trying a new skill, you have to push through. You have to get through the awkward parts. You might say, well, Eric, right now my spouse and I are not getting along very well. Things are really strained between us. I get that. If your spouse isn't willing to pray with you, then pray for your spouse. Ask. You know, if they say no, there's nothing you can do. But even if things are tough between you, just say, hey, can we just try, can we do this? And it's okay to pray together, even, like, to grab each other's hands and say, God, we're not getting along. Things are hard between us, but we want to pray together. Amen. And see, here's the important thing I want us to remember, is that Prayer is not this magical thing. It's not that saying these prayers are going to somehow fix your marriage or divorce-proof it. It's actually not the act of praying. See, what prayer is, prayer is coming and talking to Jesus. And so what we want to do as couples is, is it's grabbing each other's hands and say, let's go meet with Jesus together. It's been a little while. We're both a little strained. Come on, let's go talk with Jesus. And you come together to meet with God. You come together to meet with Jesus, to pray, to listen. We don't want to lift up just this act of prayer as this thing that's going to save everything. But what prayer is? is coming to Jesus. And maybe that will help you, even just that that mental picture of, okay, you know, you with know, your husband, your wife, you, you've been going, you've been working, you've been doing you know, the kids all day, maybe the kids are down finally for sleep, and say, man, we've been going our separate ways, it's been crazy, all the activities. Man, we need to go spend some time with Jesus. Let's do it together. And mentally, you're, you're going to grab your hands, It's like you take a step forward, you know, and, you, and you come from the natural into the supernatural, and you're coming before Jesus, before God. And Jesus is our big brother, the Bible says that he's our, our mediator. And what that means, it's just like a fancy word of, of an assistant who goes before someone or a lawyer who represents someone, and Jesus does that for us. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have access to God, the Father. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, here's my brother my sister, and they're coming before God, and we do that together. It's this act of coming before God, of Jesus as our mediator, and, and we bring our requests and we share our struggles and our frustrations and we, we talk about our day. But just start. Short and awkward is just fine. Maybe that, maybe that mental, that, that step will help as, as you come forward. And those who, those who aren't married, I want to encourage you to spend some, set some time uh, each, each day and just say, okay, I'm mentally now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and I'm going to meet with Jesus. Jesus, as my intercessor, as, as the one who paid the price I could not pay so that now I have access to God the Father, we're going to go meet together. And you're going to spend time. You're not just talking to, to the ceiling. You're not just talking to nobody. Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you want to journal. You know, And, 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 you're, and you're writing to Jesus. Jesus, here's my, my letter to you. And here, here's what I need. And here's where I'm struggling. We want to demystify prayer. That It's, it's coming and it's meeting with Jesus. It's, it's talking with Jesus. And those of us who are married, we want to do that together. Because as we move towards Jesus, we will move towards each other. As we grow in Christ and as Christ sanctifies us and purifies us from the things that are not of Jesus and we become more like Jesus as we, as we grow in love towards him, It's like this triangle that will be moving towards each other as you move towards God. Now, I'm not guaranteeing you this, but as you grow in prayer and as that intimacy grows, married couples, you might see that has an impact in your, you might experience greater physical intimacy as you experience more spiritual intimacy. And so maybe the guys are like, okay, now I'm more excited to try prayer. All right, we're going to try this. But there are some similarities between prayer and sex. Number one, never be critical of your spouse's prayer. Number two, be spontaneous. Three, don't compare your prayer life with another couple's prayer life. Learn from other couples and don't go too long without it. We want to pray together out loud on a regular basis. Are you willing to try this? Maybe your spouse isn't. Ask. And if they aren't, pray for them. Maybe you're not married. They Come to Jesus and and say, here's the kind of spouse I want. I want the kind of spouse that we can grow together in God. The kind of spouse who, you know, has buff arms like Rebecca and is kind and and is godly and is going to love me. Pray together out loud on a regular basis. And those who are parents, when we do this on a regular basis in front of our kids, it teaches them that mommy and daddy are under authority. That we are not the highest authority, but that we are under the authority of God. When you pray out loud, it demonstrates that to our kids. That, that even mommy and daddy, we have authority under Jesus. Here's what Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Man, what a great word for marriages, for families, for churches. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Again, great word for all of us married people. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. Pray together out loud on a regular basis with your spouse. For those of us who are married, it's one thing. It's not some magic formula, but it will help your marriage as you grow together in Christ. And that's the goal, is that we become more and more like Jesus. We become more and more loving, more grace-filled, more filled with love, more filled with God's peace, more able to encourage, to have patience, to help the weak, to do good, to rejoice always. That's our goal. And that's our hope for everyone, every one of you in all of your marriages. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I just pray for everyone here today. God, I want to pray for everyone who's single and looking for a spouse. God, I pray that you would bless them, uh, that they'd be patient. God, they would find a spouse that they could pray together with, that they could grow spiritually together. God, I want to pray for all the couples, those who are doing great and those who are struggling. God, I pray that we'd have hope, we'd have patience, and that, God, we'd continue to pray together, out loud, with each other, that we'd come to meet with you on a regular basis, together. God, I thank you that you have the opportunity to come here on a Sunday morning, to have our hearts encouraged through song, by opening up your word. And God, I pray that everyone today would leave with their hearts encouraged, that they'd have one thing, God, they could walk away with and say, man, that, that's, that's why I was here today. Thank you, Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.